Heavenly Father, we just worship you this morning, Lord. We just praise you and thank you, Father, that you sent your Son to die for our sins, that one sinful man can come before you and worship you, Lord, and be redeemed and forgiven of their sins. Lord, we just pray as we open your word this morning, Father, that your Holy Spirit would interpret the word for us, Lord, that it would dwell in our hearts, and we just pray that you would be glorified. In Jesus' name, amen. This morning, uh, we're going to continue our series on Romans with chapters, chapter 1, verses 18 through 32. Um, if you recall, in the first half of chapter 1, Paul is writing to the church in Rome. Uh, the church is already established and has a reputation for having strong faith. Paul is grateful to hear that they are doing well, but is eager to come and visit and preach the gospel to them. We are reminded of the importance of the body and the support that each member gives to one another. We were encouraged to strengthen one another and encourage one another. We are also charged to share the gospel boldly and unashamedly, to live by faith, to seek first the kingdom of God. In the second half of the chapter, we shift gears as Paul addresses the wrath of God and the sinful desires of man. The people of Rome were no strangers to sin and wickedness, uh, and the same holds true today. Just as the encouragements and exhortations for the church from the first half of Romans 1 were written not only to the church in Rome, but to all men, so is true of the second half. There's a clear distinction drawn here between the bride of Christ, that is the church, the born-again believer who has repented of their sin and placed their faith in Christ, and the rest of the world, those who are not yet in the fold, those that are still living for the things of this world. In the next few verses, we will see God's wrath revealed, several specific areas of sin identified and condemned, and also what responsibility man has to be held accountable for this sin. The point that Paul is trying to make here is that man is sinful and in need of a savior. So with that introduction, would you please stand with me if you are able, out of the reverence of the reading of God's word. Romans 1, verses 18 through 32. For God's wrath is revealed from heaven against all godlessness and unrighteousness of people who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth, since what can be known about God is evident among them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes that is, his eternal power and divine nature, has been clearly seen since the creation of the world, being understood through what he has made. As a result, people are without excuse. For though they knew God, they did not glorify him as God or show gratitude. Instead, their thinking became worthless and their senseless hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal men, birds, four-footed animals, and reptiles. Therefore, God delivered them over in the desires of their hearts to sexual impurity so that their bodies were degraded among themselves. 
They exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshipped and served what has been created instead of the Creator, who is praised forever. Amen. For this reason God delivered them over to disgraceful passions. Their women exchanged natural sexual relations for unnatural ones. The men, in the same way, also left natural relations with women and were inflamed with their lust for one another. Men committed shameless acts with men and received in their own persons the appropriate penalty for their error. And because they did not think it worthwhile to acknowledge God, God delivered them over to a corrupt mind so that they did what what is not right. They are filled with all unrighteousness, evil, greed, and wickedness. They are full of envy, murder, quarrels, deceit, and malice. They are gossips, slanderers, God-haters, arrogant, proud, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, senseless, untrustworthy, unloving, and unmerciful. Though they know God's just sentence, that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but even applaud others who practice them. This is the word of God. You may be seated. Before we get too far into the text this morning, I think it's important we take a step back for a moment and recap a little bit about the nature and history of sin. When God created earth and created man, everything was made perfect. Sin had not yet crept in to separate man from a holy God. God created man in his own image and gave him paradise to live in. Adam was blessed with his wife Eve, a suitable helper that the Lord had given him, and everything was perfect. Adam was free to speak to God directly, and God spoke directly to him. Adam was given one commandment, that's all. One rule to obey in the garden, they were not to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, or they would surely die. It seems simple, right? Of course, we all know how well this worked out for Adam, and in turn for the rest of us. Satan came in the form of the serpent to tempt Eve with the fruit, and she in turn shared the fruit with her husband. I find it interesting here how fast sin entered the heart of man. Turn with me, if you would, to Genesis chapter 3, verse 8. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. And the Lord called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. He said, Who told you you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, The woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit, and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this that you have done? And the woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. Notice Adam's response when God asked him if he disobeyed his commandment. His immediate response is to throw his wife under the bus. Not much has changed. Not only that, but he also tries to place the blame on God as well. The woman you put here, she gave it to me. Taking absolutely no responsibility for the sin that he had just committed. Eve also points the finger at 
placing the blame on the serpent. Almost immediately, sin becomes second nature to man. So with this chain of events, man was separated from a just and holy God by sin and the curse, taking us back to this morning's text. I think it would be easiest to break this down into a couple different categories. The main subject of this morning's text would be God's wrath. So keep this in mind as we move forward. We're focusing on God's wrath. Verses 18 through 23 start by answering the question, why? Why is God's wrath on man just? And the second portion, verses 24 through 32, describe what God's wrath looks like. Then in chapter 2, we will see what God's, God's righteous judgment on sin. So note here, there is a distinction between wrath and judgment, although one could argue that they do overlap. So I'm going to read verses 18 through 23 again for one moment. For God's wrath is revealed from heaven against all godlessness and unrighteousness of people who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Since what can be known about God is evident among them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, that is, his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly seen since the creation of the world, being understood through what he has made. As a result, people are without excuse. For though they knew God, they did not glorify him as God or show gratitude. Instead, their thinking became worthless and their senseless hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of a mortal God for images resembling mortal men, birds, four-footed animals, and reptiles. God's wrath is revealed from heaven against the godless and unrighteous. The wickedness and corruption of man cannot go unpunished. A holy and perfect God has no obligation to let sin and wickedness go unpunished. The sin that we are all born with, the sin that is our second nature, deserves God's wrath. Not just deserves it, but it demands it. The wrath of God will not be suppressed by the will of man. Brothers, we cannot claim ignorance at the day of judgment. God has put it plain as day in his word here this morning. If we do not repent of our sin and turn to Christ, God's wrath is upon us. We have no excuse. We cannot claim that we did not know about him because his fingerprints are all over creation. All around us, his divine nature, his work is evident. Every sunset, on the petals of every beautiful flower, on the ground we walk on, in the air we breathe, in the eyes of your child. How arrogant is man to try to explain away the impossible beauty around us by mere dust particles and happenstance. We are without excuse. A difficult question was posed to me a while ago from one of my children concerning man's accountability for sin. How can man be held accountable for their sin if they have never heard the gospel? What about the remote tribes in the middle of the jungle? Is it fair for God to punish them? This is a little bit of a loaded question. First, you need to define fair. What is fair to us and what is fair to God are two totally different things. 
God is holy, perfect, and just. Romans 9, verse 14 through 18 says, What shall we say then? Is there injustice on God's part? By no means. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. So then it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. For the scripture says to Pharaoh, For this very purpose I have raised you up, that I might show my power in you, and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. So then he has mercy on whomever he wills, and he hardens whomever he wills. We as God's creation have no right to judge his decisions. Whether we think his actions are fair or justified is irrelevant. Our view of just is small and skewed. It is not our place to judge God's actions. Part two of the question, if you remove whether it is fair or not to judge, is right here in Romans 1. This morning's text says that man is without excuse, that his glory is proclaimed to man through his creation. All of creation is clear evidence of a creator. So what are we as believers to do if we know man is responsible for his sin and a just God will bring judgment on him? What are you to do if this answer troubles you? Answer is simple. Proclaim the gospel. Share the truth revealed through God's word that although man is without excuse and deserving of hell, God has sent his holy, perfect son as a sacrifice for our sins. Bring the gospel to the remote remote corners of the earth and send missionaries. That is our duty, church. God has tasked his church with the job of spreading the gospel and proclaiming the truth. Here's an amazing example of God's glory being revealed through his creation I saw the other day. So if you take the highest mountain peak on earth down to the lowest valley, the difference is about 12 miles. The earth's diameter is about 8,000 miles. So if you calculate that out, the variation is about a tenth of a percent, less than a cue ball. So for illustration's sake, in your mind, if you can try to, try to comprehend this, think of God the size of a man and earth the size of a cue ball. God creates this perfectly round, perfectly smooth, intricate sphere that we live on. But it's not just that. You zoom out and you look. From God's view, the state of Minnesota is hardly visible, maybe a speck of dust. Zoom in under a microscope, you might be able to see Cross Lake. Imagine how small you are. And try to imagine how intricate our bodies are. Imagine how small our brain cells are and the neurons firing between them, telling our heart to beat. He created all that. It's pretty amazing. Now try to tell me there is no God, that this is all happenstance. God has revealed himself through all his creation, and man has rejected the truth. Instead of giving God the glory and credit for his creation, sinful man creates idols and worships them. We take what God has created 
and worship the creation rather than the creator. Is that not deserving of wrath? The truth of a holy God capable of punishing wicked sinners terrifies sinful men. So much so that they are willing to create false gods to worship, a God that they can feel more comfortable with to make themselves feel better. Throughout history, you see man creating idols, totem poles, worshiping the sun. They all know there is a holy God that created all this and worthy of praise. They just create a God they're more comfortable with, one that's easy to appease and less threatening. When I read verse 22 of Romans 1 here, it reminds me of scholars sitting around in a room sipping fine whiskey and debating evolution. Claiming to be wise, they become fools, exchanging the glory of God for idols. As if the iguana that God created has more to do with the world that we live in now than the holy God that created it. Make no mistake, church, they are without excuse. We are without excuse. If you are breathing this air, if your heart is still beating, you are without excuse. Your sin will be punished through an eternity in hell or through the saving power of Christ, through the perfect, holy, blameless sacrifice of God's only Son. Verse 24, Therefore God delivered them over in the desires of their hearts to sexual impurity, so that their bodies were degraded among themselves. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshipped and served what has been created instead of the Creator who is praised forever. Amen. Something I learned years ago to help me with my studies is to always circle back when you read therefore. So what is the therefore, therefore? In this instance, the subject is God's wrath. We started out this scripture, this section of scripture talking about God's wrath and then why men are subject to God's wrath. We see that men are without excuse because God's glory is evident all around us. Therefore, because they knew God but did not glorify him, God delivered them over to their sin. God's wrath is not only death and eternity apart from God, but also being delivered over to our sin, having a hardened heart. You can only suppress the truth for so long. When you hear the truth, when you see your sin is separating you from God, but continue in it, you are headed down this road. Man does not consider that if you continue in your sin, God reserves the right to give you over to the unholy desires of your heart. It is a terrifying thought. So what does this look like? It looks like man without a conscience. Man embracing sin and no longer feeling guilt. Exchanging the truth for a lie, they worshipped what was created rather than the Creator. Forming idols out of gold in the form of God's creation, men found it much easier to worship a golden calf than a holy God. We will all serve one master. It is in our nature. We will either be a slave to righteousness or a slave to sin. Turn with me, if you would, to Romans 6, verse 15.
What then? Are we to sin because we are not under law but under grace? By no means. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness? But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. And having been set free from sin, having become slaves of righteousness. I am speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. We who were once slaves to our sin, to the desires of our flesh, must become slaves to righteousness. There's no middle ground. If you have repented of your sin, if you no longer live to satisfy the desires of your flesh, you must live to be sanctified, to pursue righteousness. So let's ask ourselves this morning, what golden calf are we worshiping in our lives? What has taken priority in our life over the pursuit of righteousness? Have we become slaves to righteousness? Or are we still a slave to our sin? Difficult questions, but one's worth asking. Verse 26. For this reason, God delivered them over to disgraceful passions. Their women exchanged natural sexual relations for unnatural ones. The men, in the same way, also left natural relations with women and were inflamed with their lust for one another. Men committed shameless acts with men and received in their own persons the appropriate penalty of their error. So we have the subject of this morning's text being wrath. We see that all men are without excuse and the subject to God's wrath if they do not repent. Therefore, because they rejected God and were without excuse, God delivers them over to their sin. Verse 26 and 27 are just a continuation of God's wrath and the consequences of sin. Man has become so blinded by sin and satisfying their own desires that even basic biological truths are being rejected. Now, I would be cautious here to use this text as an opportunity to single out homosexuality. Absolutely, yes, this text makes it clear that homosexuality is a sin, but this isn't the primary subject of the text. You will see in the next few verses, Paul continues to list multiple other sins that are also a result of rejecting God and our hearts becoming hardened. The problem isn't the specific sin. The problem is rejecting the truth of God and exchanging it for our own truth. I'm sure you've heard that before, right? Your truth is not my truth. Well, I submit to you this morning, there is only one truth, and it's God's truth. Undeniable, indisputable. A holy God doesn't care about your truth. A holy God declares truth, demands it. God's law is not up for debate. You will either submit to God's law, or you will submit to your flesh. Verse 28 
And because they did not think it worthwhile to acknowledge God, God delivered them over to a corrupt mind so that they did what is not right. They are filled with all unrighteousness, evil, greed, and wickedness. They are full of envy, murder, quarrels, deceit, and malice. They are gossips, slanderers, God-haters, arrogant, proud, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, senseless, untrustworthy, unloving, unmerciful. Although they know God's just sentence that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but even applaud others who practice them. Here again, we see the continuation of God's wrath. Because they did not think it was worthwhile to acknowledge God, God delivers them over to a corrupt mind. Just as before, man rejects the truth of God, and God responds by delivering them over to their sin. Notice the progression in the sins that are listed here. I'd imagine most of you, if you're like me when you first read this, initially have a small sense of relief. I'm not greedy. I'm not a murderer. At least I'm not like these wicked men Paul is describing here. But as he continues, a lump begins to build in your throat. Gossip, well, maybe just occasionally. Proud, well, some pride is good, right? Disobedient to parents, well, parents don't always know what's best anyways. So what is the point here? What is God revealing to us through his scripture this morning? Is it that all of us are the wicked men Paul is describing here? Are we all under the God's wrath? Will we all be delivered over to our sin and become hardened at heart? I'm going to fast forward a couple chapters here so as to not leave us hanging. Turn with me, if you would, to Romans chapter 3, verse 21. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood, to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. It was shown to us his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Then what becomes of our boasting? It is excluded. By what kind of law? By a law of works? No, by the law of faith. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. Or is God the God of the Jews only? Is he not also the God of the Gentiles? Yes, of the Gentiles also. Since God is one, who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith? Do we then overthrow the law by this faith? By no means, on the contrary, We uphold the law. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We all have sinned, brothers and sisters. We are all deserving of God's wrath. 
there's a difference. There's a distinction. There is hope. Through faith in Jesus Christ, we are justified by God's grace. God has sacrificed his own son for our sins. You who were once dead in your sins and trespasses have been given new life. We are not doomed to be a slave to our sin, but we are given the opportunity to be a slave to righteousness. Christ bore our sins on the cross that we might have eternal life. This morning's text is describing the unrepentant sinner, the man who denies the gospel, denies God and his truth, the man who is too wise to be religious, the man who is too busy and does not have any time for God, the man who has rejected the truth for a lie. God's wrath is poured out on such men, not only in eternity, but also here on earth, as God gives them over to their wicked thoughts, desires, and passions. I will confess this morning when I was a youth in my teenage years, I had heard the truth. I knew God's word to be true, but it was inconvenient for me. I liked my sin. I didn't want to give up the desires of my flesh that brought me fleeting happiness. Thanks be to God, he did not allow me to stay in that state because that road leads directly to Romans 1.18. God's wrath on wicked man. If you want your sin, fine, you can have it. If you're hearing this message this morning and this is describing you, I beg of you, repent. Now is the opportunity. The time to act is now. Don't tell yourself you will change when you are older or it is more convenient. First off, we don't know how much time we have on this earth. Every breath is a gift of God. Second, God reserves the right to deliver you over to your sin. Turn with me, if you would, to Ephesians 2. And you who were dead in the trespasses and sins in, once you, in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he, ha he loved us, <clears throat> even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show his immeasurable riches of his grace in his kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved for, through faith. And this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his worksmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand, that we should walk in them. There is hope this morning, church. God, being rich in his mercy, has showed us his great love and given us new life through his Son, Jesus Christ. If you have confessed and believed, he is faithful and will deliver what he has promised forgiveness of sins, eternal life. He will deliver us from the desires of our flesh and give us his desires. 
God's wrath abides on the godless and unrighteous, but on the repentant believer. For the born-again Christian, grace, mercy, steadfast love, regeneration, and eternal life. Let us give him thanks this morning. Let us glorify him through our lives today. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, that even though we once walked in sin, Lord, that the desires of our hearts are wicked and evil, that you still sent your Son to die for us, Lord. That you sent your Son that we might be forgiven and that we might have newness of life, that we would be delivered from our sin and that we can spend an eternity in heaven worshiping you, Lord. We just give you thanks, Father, and praise you and just pray, Lord, that you would just transform us into the image of your Son. And just pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.